and curse people made in the image of God. You say, well, I don't, I don't curse, Mitch. I don't curse, Pastor. But what is he talking about? With the same mouth that on Sunday praises God is the same mouth that on Monday through Saturday has a really hard time seeing and seeking the good of the people made in the image of God. And I'll just be honest with you, like with the whole, you know that when you're a kid, you ever do that thing where you're like, you point at something and you're like, you did this, and then the kid goes, that yeah, we got four pointing back at you. Right? Like, you know, like, that's not actually true, it's only three because the sun is going forward, so it's actually only three. And so if your kid ever throws that one at you, just make sure they know that they're wrong. And, uh, but isn't that true? Is, is there a single human being at Redeemer City Church or watching online or catching this later on a podcast that doesn't struggle with that? There's not. You want to get practical today? Like, is there anything more practical than that? James looks at you and I and says, Your tongue is a restless evil. You know, we got Easter coming two weeks. Every year at Easter, don't worry, we're just emptying a trash can there. But uh, every year at Easter, we offend somebody. So, well, how can Easter be offensive though, though, that Jesus is giving you life? How is that offensive? Because to come to terms with that, you have to first admit that you need life. That you're a bad person. And the Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. That every single one of us needs Christ. If you don't know that you have a need for a Savior, you'll never desire to be with the Savior. And so... James comes at us and talks to us about our mouth, our big, fat mouth. Why do I call it my big, fat mouth? Because most of us, our mouth is big enough and wild enough and crazy enough that we can fit not just the front of our shoe, but we can shove the whole shoe into our mouth and walk around like that all week. Does anybody struggle with that? Am I the only one? Can I get an amen? No. I know it's convicting, but it's true. Our mouth is literally set on fire from hell. You can't pitch stronger language than that. And what I want that to springboard into uh, is we're only going to spend two weeks on it. We could spend months. Right? But I'm expecting you, in this two weeks, to feed yourself as well. To pick up your Bible confession. We take a quick time out for repentance on my part. I always make fun of you people who only bring your digital Bible and call it faith. Uh, I travel all week, so all of my notes and, and scriptures are on my iPad this week. So I apologize. It won't ever happen again. I have my real Bible next week. But, uh... You're right. That's true. But not for that reason. But, uh... Think, think this week about your words. Think tomorrow when you have that inkling to be a fire from hell that you actually have the opportunity to stop, confess that sin, repent from that sin, and be salt and light. Does that make sense? That because of the Holy Spirit living within you, you have the ability to Every moment, stop 
and confess what we know is wrong and make a different choice. And I want to talk about one of those things that uh, you've heard of this idea of a gateway drug where if you take one thing, it just leads to more things. Right? You've all heard of that. Uh, one of the things with your tongue that is sort of a gateway to a lot of other problems with your mouth is complaining. I want to talk to you this morning about complaining. Now, some of us, we understand what complaining is because we're natural complainers. Now, I think all of us are natural complainers. I think we're in, uh, especially in America, where we have so much choice, so much opportunity, we have certain expectations, and we demand certain things, but we are complainers. Uh, when I think of complaining in the Bible, I, I immediately think of the Israelites. If you know your Bible at all, or you've done any Bible stories, uh, the Israelites were like the poster child for complaining. Think about this. Uh, God, if you know your Bible at all, if you don't, there, there's these great stories in the Old Testament that uh, talk about God's people, the, the people that God chose that redeemed for himself and were looking forward to the Messiah coming. And now we look back on the Messiah who came and will come again. And so in that grand storyline, the people of God were called the Israelites. And uh, quite frankly, uh, still today there's turmoil in the Middle East because of this fact. But we meet the Israelites in the Old Testament and they, they are great complainers. I mean, if there was an art for complaining, you could study the Israelites. That would be awesome. Think about just a few of the things they saw God do. Uh, God, when they were in captivity in Egypt, God sends Moses, who was a stutterer, and his brother to Pharaoh and says, let the people go. God wants his people to be free. And Pharaoh's like, get lost, not going to happen. And so to make a long story short, uh, God does ten miracles called the ten plagues. And uh, all kinds of crazy stuff, and you can read about it in Exodus. And they saw God do all of that, and then they saw God lead them out of captivity, just because two guys went and talked to him, talked to Pharaoh. I mean, can you imagine, like, rolling into the Middle East right now and being like, you know, talking to one of the dictators or North Korea and being like, uh, Kim, you're going to need to uh, let the people go. I mean, how would that go? Not going to happen. Get out of here, and I might kill you. All right? So, unless you're Dennis Rodman, then you can do whatever you want, apparently. But, um, if you don't know that, you can Google it. But, uh, so, they, so God does these ten plagues, and, and the people are set free, and then as they're walking out, Pharaoh changes his mind. You remember the story? And Pharaoh changes his mind and gets angry and says, no, and he sends his whole army out there. Now, can you imagine being one of those people who just got set free, and then you turn around and you're like... <laughs> <laughs> and because why? Because they're standing in front of the Red Sea and there's nowhere to go. And what does God do? He says, Moses, once you lift up your arms and I'll part the Red Sea, and God parts the Red Sea. And you say, well, that's not scientifically possible. Exactly. <laughs> we have no problem with that here. That's what makes it a miracle. And so, and so the people of Israel cross the Red Sea on dry ground. And then God allows the army of Pharaoh to go into the Red Sea on dry ground and then closes the water and miraculously rescues his people. Like they saw that. Like they could turn around, look at the water, swallow the army. Amazing. You'd be like, I would rededicate my life forever right there. 
right? Like, I wouldn't have to do it 12 more times like they did at summer camp as a kid, right? Like, we would just be, like, all in at that point. Part of the Red Sea, ground through his army. And then, through the wilderness, he feeds them manna from heaven. I mean, I, I've never tasted manna, but I imagine God's a pretty good cook. <laughs> or he doesn't care about food, which is not It's also possible. And then he gives them water from a rock. Now think about that. Enough water, clean drinking water, for millions of people from a boulder. A boulder. Like, sometimes we hear these stories so often we forget just how miraculous they are. We're talking millions of people. Think like New York City. And there's just a rock in Times Square. And it's got a spigot on it. And all of New York City can get water from that one rock. That's amazing. God's doing all these miracles in their midst. They're closing the world. They, they, they do this. And then they did the same thing they've always done. They whine, they gripe, and complain. But listen to what happens in Exodus 14, verse 11 and 12. They, the people, said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt? I mean, talk about, talk about dramatic. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? As though the God who set the ten plagues part of the Red Sea, drowned Pharaoh's army, has been feeding them manna from heaven, water from a rock, couldn't handle this as well, to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Can I just pause here? In your life, are there areas where you would rather be a slave to your sin than free with God? Are there places in your life where you are hanging on to your sin because it feels better than being free with God? It's a lie. It's a lie from hell. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. That's not what they said. They were complaining to God that they were in slavery. We kind of get that one. But we also kind of do this one, don't we? God gives you what you want. He sets you free. He gives you an opportunity. He makes a way for you, as we sang. And yet, we complain. And here it is. It culminates in this. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Like, we were, we're pretty good at pointing fingers at the Israelites. But don't you and I do the same thing? Think about all that God has done for you. And then he asks for certain things because of the freedom you've been given. And we struggle to do the simplest of things. We struggle because we ask for things that are in accordance with God's will. And here's Moses' response in Exodus chapter 16, verse 8. It says, your grumbling, towards the end there, you'll see, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. It just puts it in perspective, doesn't it? For everything that God has done, God will give you nothing of monetary value. And some of you today are sitting here and that's your story. 
Right now, you, you don't have anything to do. And Moses is telling all of us, your grumbling isn't against us, but it's against the Lord. And like I said, some of you are feeling guilty already, and you should. You should. And I do. And I have all week. <laughs> and I can give you a lot of personal examples from this past week. And some of you know that we were uh, gifted in trip because of Malachi's uh, special needs and, and all these things. And like, isn't it amazing that somebody pays for my family halfway across the country and gives you this incredible experience? And, and I found things that I didn't like. I got my computer out Thursday and I was looking over my notes for this thing and I'm like, wow, you are an idiot. <laughs> you are a full-fledged idiot. Right? I was like, I could, God could just take me back to Israel I'd be right in there. Oh! Man, it gets us. You know, but like, just think about today. Some of you probably complain on your way in because the parking's bad, the kids were late, we're out of the music's too loud, we didn't play your favorite song. I mean, we can just we can complain with the best of them. And that's just today. Think about your life. It's an amazing thing. Think about this. What in your life do you complain the most about? What is it for you? Is it work? Is it your home life? Is it your lack of home life? What do you complain about? Not being married, and then you get married, and then you, your spouse drives you crazy, and so that's a problem too. You want a job, and you get a job, now you hate your meetings, then you hate your boss. Uh, your house is too small, then it's too big, and you can't clean it. Then uh, money's tight, and then God gives you uh, more money, and you realize that that just makes things worse. And let's not even go to Facebook and Instagram, right? <laughs> I mean, think things smaller. The weather is bad. The Wi-Fi is slow. Nothing to binge watch. Uh, problem is not the problem is not weather, Wi-Fi, or your lack of Netflix shows. What's the problem? The problem is that Satan has taken your eyes off the goodness of God and put it on your side. And it's really easy for him to do, is it not? And Briefly today, I just want to unpack a text written by, that was all introductions. introduction. <laughs> 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 what? I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. That's all. <laughs> but, I'm, I'm going to finish on time. I promise. Well, I'll try. We'll keep you with them. Ten extra minutes. <laughs> if anyone had the right to complain, wouldn't it have been the Apostle Paul? What, like, if we're just like, we're just going to be like total humans right now, like, like, just remove the Holy Spirit out of it. And, like, if anyone had a human right to complain, it would be the Apostle Paul. Right? I mean, when he wrote the book of Philippians, uh, he was in jail, writing to a church, a group of people that he loved, and he writes some amazing things considering he's been beaten, he's been almost killed, he's been drugged through the street, left outside the city gate for dead, and God brings him... Uh, basically back to health and then he just continues to preach and plant churches. He's been shipwrecked. He's been through a ton that we would say, dude, like, you just, you just take a week off if you want. <laughs> Go on vacation. You know, we might even take a love offering and help you get there. Um, he could have complained 
And from our perspective, then okay. Like we, we get it all. You've been through some stuff. It wasn't fair. Serving God was hard for you, Paul. The floor is hard. The food is bad in prison. Your back aches. Your guards have veto. They didn't have good showering. You know, like all the things we complain about. But listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Just think about the scenario that he's writing this in. It's hard to wrap your head around. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, complaining, some of your translations will say. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We got Easter coming up. Your big fat mouth has an opportunity to do one of two things. Continue on with the status quo as usual in a crooked and twisted generation and just succumb to that and be a part of it, which we're all good at and guilty of. Or you can make a decision today in the power of the Holy Spirit that this week I am not going to complain or grumble or dispute. And I'm going to live in the freedom of an innocent, blemished, unblemished child of God, adopted into the family of God, that I might shine as a light in the world. You want to feel significance this week? It's not about doing more or trying harder. It's about resting in the fact that Jesus set you free from the crooked generation that you live in. That you might live and shine as a light in the world. Can I just step on your toes a little bit? Your job matters a lot less than you think it does. Your uh, home life is going to be shorter than you imagine it is. And I'm guilty of this really horribly. You know, just like your kids and your spouse, and this problem seems so big. But then, like, two weeks later, who cares? It's perspective. It's a perspective that I need, that you need, that we might shine as lights in the world. You know, we can go through so many spiritual reasons that this matters, but there's even some practical mental reasons. Dr. Travis Bradbury wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence, and uh, in his second volume, he, he made three observations about our mouth that caught me off guard, that were surprising to me, but when you think about it, it's very true. The first thing he said is that repeated complaining hardwires your brain to do more complaining. So if at, any, if at some point you don't look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to stop complaining, your brain will run a new neurological pathway to where who you are becomes complainer. That it literally becomes a part of your makeup neurologically. The second thing you say is that uh, naturally, now we know why, Naturally, as human beings, we find it easier to be negative than positive. We know why, right? Because we're sinners. Because you're a sinner. What would you look like? I'm a sinner. I've been in it for a while. 
It's just easier to be negative, isn't it? It's just easier to walk into a place and find everything that's wrong instead of see everything that's right that God's done. And then the third thing he said, which surprised me, but was helpful, is that there's a confirmation bias. In other words, we interpret our circumstances based on our preconceived ideas. Right? And we can see this easily in our kids. You know, like if your kid, like I have a five-year-old who... We, we are trying to figure out why in the world some things he's terrified of and cries, and then other things he gets in and said he's going to like and he goes and does it, and like they're so backwards, right? And so like we were on a train going to the Grand Canyon this week, and they have this show where they like rob the train and all this stuff, and it's like funny and super lighthearted. My five-year-old was like just decided this was going to be the end of his life, <laughs> and you know, despite all of the working up, like son, this is fake. This is not happening. We're going to give him a dollar. We're going to laugh. And we're going to get a picture with the robber, and it's going to be fun. <laughs> like, You're not going to die. I promise. But then we went skiing. <laughs> The next day, and he just goes down the hill like, you know, just like, you should have been scared of skiing down a hill, something you've never done, and you should have not been scared of a fake show. Why did that happen? For whatever reason, he had preconceived ideas that skiing is fun and getting robbed is bad. <laughs> Which makes sense. <laughs> if it wasn't fake. If it was if we were really getting robbed, we would all be freaking out with you and jumping off the train. But it's easy to see in others, isn't it? It's really hard to see in myself. Where I have a preconceived idea that my job is bad or my situation is not good, when in reality that God doesn't make mistakes. Think about Esther. She had to do an ancient version of uh, the Bachelorette or the Bachelor or whatever <laughs> one that is, and you know, competing with all these women, and then she did, and it's like. Is that even great because he just tried out with all these other women? Yet, what does Mordecai look her in the eye and say? God's put you here for such a time as this. You're here in your time, in your moment, not to be famous, but for such a time as this that you might shine as light in the world. And all too often are complaining and our problems, and our issues, and our selfishness, and our tongue set on fire from hell gets in the way of the beautiful privilege of walking people from death to life. So what if, over these next two weeks leading up to Easter, you made a decision to not complain, but to shine as a light, to use your big, fat mouth not to complain, but to speak life and to invite people to the family of God for an amazing difference that would make. Let me give you two more things and then I'll, I'll close. You know, one of the things is if you can change your circumstances, you should. You should do something about it. Think Nehemiah and the walls. There, there is a such thing as righteous 
dissatisfaction. If there are things in the world that you see that are wrong, like slavery, uh, like uh, adoption, like like fostering, like like we should all be a part of that. There's, there's no excuse for kids to be running around Florida without families when we have hundreds, hundreds and thousands of families that could take them. Righteous dissatisfaction. That that's a good thing. You should we should do something about that. But if you can't change your circumstances, which is where many of us find, you should change your perspective. You should change your perspective. Think about how Paul said it in Philippians chapter 2 about his circumstances. Even if, he says, I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, if God takes away everything of mine so that you might flourish spiritually, so if I have to suffer so that you can find Christ, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. What an amazing statement. Here, here's what's cool about that. Uh, Greek to English doesn't always translate awesome. Um, but what Paul wrote there, that phrase, I am to be poured out as a drink offering, is actually one word in Greek. It's a great word. It's going to help you this week. It's going to help you remember. It's just the word spendo. Can you say that? Say spendo. spendo. Some of you are like, I do it every weekend. Spendo. <laughs> right? And uh, the husband's like, amen. And uh, or if you're like, never mind. <laughs> Step on my face today. Spendo. Think about that. That's an amazing thing. Like, what, what are you spending your life on? That's an easy filter to think about how you spend your life, how you spend your words. Something, talk, something Paul was talking about his ultimate martyrdom and that he would ultimately die for Christ. But here's what's cool about the word. The word in Greek, this is probably some information, but the verb is passive. And what that means in Greek is that what he was saying is, I am being poured out. What he was saying is, I'm sitting in jail right now so that you might know Christ better. And I rejoice in that. What would it look like if over the next two weeks with your words you poured your life out for other people instead of yourself? You're seeing what's wrong with your scenario. If you're taking notes, I think I put a blank in there, just one blank down there towards the bottom, and here's what it is. You are not the center of your story. You want to know what the key is to stop complaining? You are not the center of your story. And then that second phrase, you can probably finish it. Jesus is. Jesus is. You see, all of these things you feel guilty about and that you struggle with and that I struggle with and are difficult every day of the week, it's because Jesus has been moved by us out of being the centerpiece of the story. This is why Hebrews and why we talk every week that the Bible says to fix your eyes on Jesus because He is the author and finisher of your faith. Paul says elsewhere that He began the good work in you and He's going to finish it. So how do I get on board with that? How do I stop complaining? How do I stop doing the things that I've always done? 
and start to live as a light in a crooked world. How do I do that? Take your eyes off of your circumstances and put them on Jesus. And it will make all the difference in your life. Paul wasn't the center of the story. You aren't the center of the story. And it changes things. He says as much in Philippians 1, 12 and 13, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You know what Paul did? He said, I'm in prison. I might as well make a good time of it. And he starts witnessing to all the guards. And then, so whether they liked it or hated it, they all knew that he was in prison to advance the gospel. What prison are you in? in your own mind. And how do you need to shift your perspective from prison to preaching? How do you need to change your perspective that you might advance the gospel in the situation and circumstances that you find yourself in? You've got an incredible opportunity coming up in two weeks at Easter. Statistics show that people are far more open to that conversation in these couple weeks and they go get their family picture at church on Easter Sunday, which we're going to have a great chalkboard wall for you to do that on. Okay, so seize the opportunity. But to do it, you're going to have to change your perspective. You have to take your big fat mouth and do a lot less complaining and a lot less looking in, fixing your eyes on Jesus and looking out. Does that make sense? Our mouth is the key to the whole thing. If we can stop and say, I'm not going to complain. And God wants to pour my life out in such and such a way. I'm going to use it to advance the gospel. And I'm going to speak life and light and hope. Amen? Let's pray. God,